Hey everyone, before the podcast starts, just some quick housekeeping and a quick little disclaimer here. So when we recorded this, that was right before Kyle Lowry signed his one-year extension. A little bit later in the podcast, when we talk about the Raptors, Leo and I start to talk about the possibility of trades and player movement and all that. So the Kyle Lowry extension happened after we recorded this podcast. And of course, some quick housekeeping before this episode starts. If you have not already, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Chris Platty. It's just Chris Platty. That's it. Nothing hard. Then on the Instagram and the Twitter, I'm at real Chris Platty. That is my handle. Please follow me on those social medias to stay up to date with the, all the content I have coming. Now, without further ado, let's get to the episode with Lior breaking down the Atlantic Division. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to an episode of Strictly Hoop Talk. As always, I'm your host, Chris Platty. Returning to the podcast is my good friend who covers the NBA champion, the defending NBA champion, the Toronto Raptors. Liar, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. Championship offseason. <laughs> Almost coming to an end. Yeah, hell, hell of an offseason. Uh, just an, an amazing ride, Lior. Um you know, I've I've read your stuff with Daft Pen and Rap and Raptors Rapture, and I I really like it. So I'm glad to have you back on the podcast. How was your summer? How was the summer of uh? How was the summer of championship? Um, it's been good, man. Just celebrating. Um, then uh, we had Bianca Andreescu, the <laughs> tennis champion, win the U.S. Open. So uh, it's been a good summer for Canadian sports. Besides, I guess uh. The men's basketball team kind of flamed out in the World Cup. Obviously, the players never show up. Um, but uh, we're hoping for maybe to get a bid to have one of those like Olympic qualifying tournaments in uh, maybe in um, Quebec next year, which would probably help to qualify for the Olympics. But yeah, overall, a good summer for Canadian basketball. Yeah, man, that's a, that's a good summer. Uh, USA, don't worry, we fell short as well in, in basketball. Um, but that's a whole that's a whole other topic. Did you actually go to the championship parade? Um, I did. Yeah, I was at the parade. The parade was pretty bad, to be honest. Really? Um, it was just it was a whole mess. It was too many people, and uh, <laughs> they didn't really they didn't even know what to anticipate. I think there was like one point five million, maybe. Wow. It was just it was hectic. So they they were maybe three hours late with the scheduling. Like they wanted wow. the players to be at um, Nathan Phillips Square around 12 p.m. And they ended up there at like 3 or 4 p.m. It was wow. just such a mess. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but it was crazy. It's like now, I mean, the culture just like it was already shifting to be popular, like just for basketball and that kind of talk to be popular for like, so many years now being like a perennial playoff team but once Kawhi came and this became a championship contender like i wrote an article about it kind of earlier in the year just how um the discourse is all about basketball and you see more raptor gear and all that around the city and it's just it's even more now every time i go on the subway you see like all the raptor hats championship gear championship sweatshirts all that stuff so um it's cool to see well, it's awesome, and I'm glad I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, I take pride in it because, as my listeners know, and I think I told you this on the last podcast, I come from Canadian descent. My mother moved to America 
uh, when she when she was a kid. So I have Canadian in my DNA. I have Canadian relatives. None of them care about basketball. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, you did tell me that. <laughs> but anyways, let's get to today's podcast about the Atlantic Division preview. So we're gonna go through all the teams with one burning question we have about them coming into the season, and then we'll look at their over unders and make a prediction. You know how it starts on this podcast. We go we go worst to first. So kicking it off, we have the lowly Knicks. Now, the Knicks had a very, very tough season last year. Um, only 17 wins, and yet they still did not end up with the number one pick and Zion Williams. They ended up with R.J. Barrett. So to me, after the Kristaps Porzingis trade, the hype about getting KD and Kyrie, all of that falling short, probably one of the worst calendar years for an organization, especially for a historic organization like that. Um, you know, I I mean, I want to joke and say, how do they fast forward this season is my burning question. But if I want to be real, to me, the most important thing for them is seriously finding out who and what do they have on their roster that can be flipped for assets at the deadline or in the next offseason. That's kind of the burning question to me. I mean, what do they really have on on this uh, on this roster that you would consider a tradable piece besides uh, R.J. Barrett, maybe Dennis Smith Jr., but they just took him as a flyer, so I think they want to keep him. Mitchell Robinson, again, a team in their position, you're going to want to keep a, a young, promising prospect like that. What do they really have to trade? Can they flip, you know, Wayne Ellington, uh, Marcus Morris? Can they flip any of these guys into assets? Yeah, for me, it's just the Knicks. It's just about um, taking their time and doing a proper rebuild. And, I mean, they signed all these veterans this summer, a whole lot of power forwards. Um, <laughs> and I think, I mean, these guys have value. They got them on decent contracts. Um, I think Marcus Morris, Wayne Ellington, Bobby Portis, Taj Gibson, like all those guys I think are on tradable contracts. And um, I think for them, it's just about they should be looking to rebuild kind of all over from scratch. Like Mm -hmm. just keep the young guys, give them a lot of reps, Kevin Knox, Dennis Smith, and RJ Barrett, and Mitchell Robinson as well. You've got like a lot of young talent there. And I think you just need to stop trying to rush the rebuild and become an instant contender and instead just focus on the young guys see what you can get if you can get some more young guys for the veterans or future picks whatever it might be and stop trying to rush through free agent signings because obviously that hasn't worked for them they tried it in the lebron first free agency summer all the way back to 2010 and they've pretty much been trying it since then and it never really panned out and i think they just need to let those young guys develop and hope that Mm -hmm. they can get something out of that core yeah I, I definitely agree with you. Um, all seriousness aside, despite the jokes, they they are in a situation that is a clear rebuild, and I think they have to have the patience this time. And I know that's the last thing Knicks want to hear because they've been in this, they've been kind of half rebuilding, you know, for for almost a decade. You know, they had Mello, and you know, two thousand. The last good year of Mello they had was like what two thousand fourteen, two thousand fifteen. So for half a decade, they've been kind of just quickly trying to rebuild on the fly, skip steps. We saw this with the Lakers. Um, you know, it doesn't it doesn't really work out when you try and just bandage and move on rather than actually heal and fix the wounds, so to speak. So 
New York has to think about what they could get for Wayne Ellington, Reggie Bullock, Taj Gibson, uh, Julius Randle. I think they're going to probably likely keep because he is a young player. I think they're yeah. going to give him more of a more of a long term shot than you know these other guys, Marcus Morris. But I think I think they definitely need to look for some picks, and you know this might be actually a very a very good play for New York if I want to be positive and optimistic here because. This is a season where we have a lot of teams that have title aspirations. You know, we have we have eight teams that think that they can really, really win the title, maybe even more. And at the trade deadline, it's going to be a crazy one. They'll be looking for any marginal upgrade they can. It will definitely be a buyer's market this year at the trade deadline, I believe. So the Knicks might end up, you know, being able to get even more bang for their buck out of these players than, than they originally expected. Yeah, that's kind of what we saw last year in the East, at least. Um, obviously, the Warriors were the heavy favorite in the West. In the East, it was kind of open. So um, the Bucks traded for Nikola Meritich. They gave up um, a whole bunch of second-round picks, and he's he was just like a backup for. Um, and then the Raptors gave up, obviously, a lot for Marcus Gasol, and the, um, and the Sixers gave up a lot for Tobias Harris. So, I mean, those guys maybe aren't on the same level, but still those are useful pieces in Morris, Portis, and um, maybe Gibson, maybe some of those veterans. Um, like definitely if a contender sees like a weak spot, like you look at the Clippers who obviously don't have a lot of big man depth, um, a team like that could really use a guy like Taj Gibson, smart veteran, good defensive player. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the Knicks managed to get some value out of those assets. I think they just need to... Um, to make sure that they're looking for the right things and not just another uh, veteran who's not really going to contribute a whole lot for them. Right. I agree. Let's jump across the borough to Brooklyn, uh, across the state to another borough, and that is Brooklyn. The Brooklyn Nets had a major offseason, a double sting for New York. Not only do they lose KD and Kyrie, but they lose them to their, their neighbor, the Brooklyn Nets. Um, obviously, Kevin Durant's out for the season. So to me, the the thing I have about the Nets coming into this season and what I really like from just a narrative perspective is this is the perfect opportunity for Kyrie to right his Boston wrongs. You know, he got blamed for a lot of it. Now, to be honest, you know, a lot of a lot of people will say that Kyrie was the center of a lot of Boston's problems, and I don't agree or disagree. I would say that that's what the signs point to, but I've also seen people be blamed for things that they hadn't done before, and they were guilty in the court of public opinion. So uh, so this is a perfect opportunity. Kyrie is again going to a situation where he will be the clear alpha dog for one season. He will be supported by a young, uh, a, a young cast of NBA players, and this is a chance for him to basically do exactly what he did in Boston, but just do it right this time. So that to me is is what is what is going to be the most interesting thing about Brooklyn is how does Kyrie, you know, how how, do, how seriously does Kyrie take this opportunity? Does he think does he think, you know, that it was Boston's problem or does he think look inward and say, you know, what, this is my problem. This is my chance to be the best team leader. So, we'll we'll really see how that goes, but that's to me what I'm watching for. What are you watching for with Brooklyn? Um, yeah, the Kyrie thing's definitely big. I think we've kind of seen 
Um, I mean, words, obviously, his play is going to speak louder than words, but he's had a couple of quotes about um, kind of taking accountability for what happened last year. So um, hopefully for the Nets, he'll kind of step up as a better leader and kind of inspire them the way Russell, uh, D'Angelo Russell, inspired them last year. Um, for me, I'm looking at Karis LeVert. I thought personally that LeVert, at least before his injury, was the best player on the Nets, and he was outperforming Russell, and he was kind of their leading candidate to be uh, that team's all-star. And then in the playoffs, he kind of showed it again. He was averaging around 20 points a game, and he was their best player in that series against Philly. So to me, right after he got this extension, about $18 million a year for three years, I want to see if Russ, if uh, LeVert can kind of continue that upward trajectory and whether he's an all-star or borderline all-star, just elevate himself to another level because if he makes that leap, then that's almost be- that almost functions better as another trade asset and another guy to surround uh, Kyrie and Kevin Durant, maybe form a big three because we obviously saw a lot of these big twos this summer. That was kind of a big talking point. And if they found another, maybe another big guy, because they've got like the two perimeter guys or just some kind of um, third star to complement KD and Kyrie, um, I think that would be huge. Or Levert could just become that player and then play next to them. Um, so that's kind of what I'm watching for. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree. Levert is the most interesting player on this roster for that reason. Also, Jared Allen, too. Jared Allen is a prospect that I really, really like. I thought he's played well these last couple of years. I think his his trajectory is really sky high. Um, him and DeAndre will will have will split the center position. We'll see how that goes. We'll see who ends up getting more minutes. I think Jared Allen's a better player at this point in their careers, but we'll see. You know, maybe DeAndre Jordan revives himself. But you know. Let's hit the over under on them, and I know we forgot about the over under on the Knicks, so we'll so we'll hit that after. But right now, give me the over under on the Nets, which is at forty four, so it's it's at flat forty four. That's what they're projected to finish as this year. Uh, other places have them at at forty four point five, so we'll say forty four point five. They're over under. I'm taking. I'm taking the slight under. I think 44 to 43 is about right. I think they finish, you know, bottom tier of the East. I don't think they finish much above 500 if they do. Yeah, I'm actually right with you there. I've seen, I don't know, it it, it hasn't been like a clear consensus, but I've seen people higher on them a little, like mm-hmm. four or not really three days, but maybe four or five. I'm more in the six to seven range. Yep. I think they'll probably, so I'm also under on 44. I just think they don't really have any front court depth. Um, they really only have one power forward on the entire <laughs> roster in uh, Courage. And he had um, kind of a personal issue um, potential. I think it was um, alleged, yeah, an alleged domestic assault case. So mm-hmm. um, that's obviously a question mark. And I just I don't really love the roster like i think they have really good spacing and they can push the ball they'll be good offensively i'm just i'm not super high on um on their front court and i wasn't really convinced by last year that they were this um that they were really an upper tier team i think they were just 
in a really bad bottom half of the East. They were obviously standing out. So I think they'll be somewhere around there again. And, um, and obviously the big thing for them is going to be once Durant returns, if they become a title contender. So this year is kind of a bridge year from that young team into the Kyrie Durant team. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. All the all the reasons you hit are why I'm also under. They're, they're short in some positions. Uh, also, you know, I get the argument. I think D'Angelo Russell is nowhere near as good a player as Kyrie at this point in their career. I know, you know, people like Bill Simmons like yeah. to make that argument, but I think Bill Simmons uh, had a little bit of bias in that opinion. So adding Kyrie to a team that won 42 games last year, you know, you could I could see why people would pick over 42, but you hit the nail on the head with me. The East is stronger, and overall the league is stronger, I think, this year. So I don't think there's as many free games to beat up on uh, that, that Brooklyn will take advantage of. And they did get very hot at the second half of the season, and I don't think that that scale that they had uh, or that, um, that run that they had in the second half of the season last year, I don't think that was quite... Um, indicative of who they truly are. I think that was a little bit of an overachievement. Yeah. So all those reasons yeah. kind of point to regression. Um, yeah, I'm with you on that. And uh, and I think they kind of snuck up on teams as well. Yeah, they, they definitely did. So the Knicks one that we missed last year again, 17 wins. This year, Vegas has them at 27.5, which would be a 10-win improvement if you're uh, 11 win improvement, if you take the over, I'll take the under for the reasons we just stated with Brooklyn. The East got better. Um, I think their roster isn't really any better than it was last year. So I, I don't see I don't see where the 10 win improvement would be. I it, it's hard for me. I I I never really want to pick uh, the under on the on some of the bottom five teams just because you know it's so even though somebody's got to be really bad. It's hard to it. It's hard to you know count out like a, an an entire NBA team for a whole season. But that being said, I have the under on New York at twenty seven and a half. I'm taking the way under. I have them for probably probably like you know twenty wins or around what they had last season. Yeah, I'm under too. I like there was a New York Times NBA writer who suggested that they might be like. A, even a borderline playoff team and i just don't see it at all like i don't really like they obviously have veterans like they might Mm -hmm. be respectable but like we talked about they'll probably look to trade some of those guys and they just don't really have any sort of roster cohesion it doesn't really make sense on paper and i don't think it will make sense on the court either i don't all right so enough with new york let's move on to the other parts of the division Let's go to the Boston Celtics, another team that's been entangled in this whole Kyrie wet. Wow, this this real doing this podcast makes me realize just how intermingled this Atlantic division is between Kyrie allegedly going to New York, then going to Brooklyn from Boston. <laughs> this 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 is definitely an intertangled, uh, intermixed uh, division. So Celtics for me, it's as it's as simple as the chemistry issues. I think. I think they can't be as simple as Kyrie uh, as Kyrie and Rozier. Uh, Brown, Jalen Brown has made it clear from representatives that he wants a max contract. You know, obviously Tatum is Tatum. I, as much as I like Brown and Tatum together, I don't see those two being an end game. I see, I see both of them wanting to be their own team, and I, I really think that this season is going to come down to 
Boston really looking themselves hard in the mirror and, and evaluating and picking, all right, do we want Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum? I mean, do you think I'm wrong in, in, in that, or do you think or do you think that it will come down to those two? And if so, who would you pick? Um, that's interesting. I think I think those two can work together. I think we saw like a little glimpse of it in the um, 2017 playoffs when obviously Kyrie and Hayward were out. Um, I think they can work as a wing duo. I wouldn't be super. Um, I wouldn't be excited to give Brown the max. I think that's yeah. a little much for him, and I don't think he's really proved that. And if it came down to choosing one or the other, I'd probably take Tatum over Brown. Mm-hmm. But I think they can work together, especially once Hayward's um, massive contract expires. They can kind of fill other parts of the roster. And, I mean, that's kind of my concern for them is more the front court um, and how they take care of that issue. Just yeah. And, like, everyone says Boston lost their best player this summer. To me, their best player was Al Horford, and they really didn't replace him with anyone um, – the, the, anyone I mean who can defend like they just sign Ennis Cantor who's like he has a function he can be he can be a good offensive player a good pick and roll player but on defense they just have no big man to protect the rim and that's kind of my biggest concern for them because um even if the wings pan out um how are they going to defend without any uh any real rim protection so to me, the Tatum Brown thing, like it may be an issue, but I'm kind of higher on those two figuring mm-hmm. out a fit. I'm more concerned with uh, the other parts of the roster. Yeah, you bring up a good point. Uh, that Kemba Walker, Ennis Cantor, one five. Is that the worst one five pick and roll defense in the NBA? Likely, <laughs> it might be. It might be. I mean, I don't know who Charlotte's starting at center. Um, yeah. But it's got to be in the conversation. Like, I don't, I just, like, they have a great bunch of wing guys, which is great for the NBA right now, um, mm-hmm. with, like, wings being so valuable. And obviously, Kemba Walker is, like, at least comparable to Kyrie Irving. But once you factor in, like, the loss of a center, I don't know. I don't know where yeah. this team's going. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Boston really, you know, I, I, I do like that they got Kemba. That was a good on-the-fly rebound, um, and they tried to keep Horford. They just couldn't. They couldn't find the right price. I thought Horford was, like you said, absolutely necessary, and he was last season their most important player. I still think. I still think all things considered, Kyrie is so spectacular and so talented that I would say that he's the objectively just better on better if you put him on a team. Um, you know, if you're just if you're just evaluating their pure talent, but I, I but I definitely see and respect the argument for Horford. So either way, losing those two players is a huge blow to them. So it was nice for them to rebound and get Kemba. I thought that was really sly. Um, but like you said, the center the center issue is going to be a major major problem for them this season. I think uh, I I don't think it will be as simple as. Oh, Kemba is basically just as good as Kyrie, so everything's status quo. <laughs> it's like it's like you're forgetting about Al Horford, who was a big, huge part of the engine that made this Celtics offense run because he was a superstar player that didn't need superstar control. You know, he made his plays off of just off of just the the flow of the game rather than you know how Kyrie and other great players do, which is isolation and create for themselves. So, I I think that. 
Boston's issues are run pretty deep. I don't think it's going to be as, as simple as everybody likes each other again. And maybe that's true, and I hope that's true. But I, I still don't see that making a a huge difference. Now, last season with only 49 wins, they did drastically underachieve. But, you know, Vegas has them at 49.5, which is really interesting. All things, All the things we said considered, Boston you know, is still projected to win about the same amount of games as they did last year. And that, to me, makes this line really, really tricky. And I would, if you're a gambling person listening to this podcast, I would stay away from this line (laughs) because last season was probably the worst-case scenario for the Celtics, the way they imploded as bad as they did. So, you know, it's hard for them to go lower than this bar, but at the same time, they did did lose more talent than they gained this offseason. So... I'll take the slight under. I have them at probably 47, 48 wins. Yeah, it's weird because, I mean, after all that, I think, like, Brown and Tatum are both going to have um, bounce-back seasons. I think mm-hmm. they're both going to get better. And um, I think Walker will just fit better as a leader. And even if he's not as talented as Kyrie, he's just um, he's just going to be more unselfish and be a little more accommodating of the young guys and that will work better. But on the flip side, um, I just, yeah, like losing Kyrie's talent and then losing Horford just as kind of the glue guy, the, the head of the defense, and then also kind of a, just a good facilitator and unselfish center to have on offense. Um, I just think the combination of that is huge. And, um, I'd have them somewhere around like 45, 46 wins. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they get like close to 50, but I'd be pretty like, I don't expect them to get to beat that over under. So I'm under as well. Yeah. I, I just think, you know, it, it, like you said, a lot of what you pointed to says that they'll probably be around the 40, the 49 win club, you know, the 50 win club this year. But uh, again, a lot of it just, you know, the talent that they lost. And, you know, it's true that Brown, Tatum, and even Hayward, I also would include in that camp of someone I expect to take a leap forward. Yeah. And so maybe th- those leaps are enough to offset what Al Horford left them, but I don't think so just because none of those players outside of Brown really provide the defense. You know, yeah. I'm sure I'm sure Boston can be a better offense than they were last year but I'm not sure they could be a better defense or even as good of a defense as they were last year. Yeah, I'm with you. All right, let's jump to the other team, the team that Al Horford left. Again, this <laughs> division is this division is crazy. Uh, the Philadelphia 76ers had a wild offseason, obviously lo- losing Jimmy Butler in a sign-and-trade to Miami where they acquired Josh Richardson and then, of course, getting Al Horford. Um, you know, and now they they're looking at uh, staring at the Ben Simmons max contract that is forthcoming, and uh, you know, of course, all these all these payrolls they're they're going to have a massive massive payroll. But getting Horford and Embiid together, this is the one. This is a team that I'm really looking forward to in the East more than any other team because I I get I get what they're going with with Horford and Embiid, 48 minutes of, of great center. It's kind of like it's kind of like what D'Antoni talked about when the Rockets acquired Chris Paul, right? In that yeah. you're going to get 48 minutes of stellar play from this position because Horford and Embiid will play together at times, but the times Embiid sits, 
Horford will slot into the center position, you know, and that will and that will work. But despite me thinking it works and Horford fits better because he doesn't have to demand the ball like Jimmy did in the playoffs, but we saw how badly Philly needed that guy that that just that dominant that ball dominant score because Embiid, you know, it's a different game you know you can throw in the post and that does work don't get me wrong especially when you're as talented as Embiid but you still they still all that all that talent Embiid had they still needed Jimmy to go absolute supernova when uh when Embiid was resting so you know and obviously we don't see Horford or Ben Simmons taking that step to me it really comes down to Tobias and what they're going to do with that how Tobias can because I know he's a hooper. I saw him in Detroit. I know he's a great <laughs> basketball player. But he's got to really take control and be that ball-dominant player because I think that that's what Philly needs is that is they need one more ball-dominant player that's not a big like Embiid. Yeah, I mean, that's like they have a million questions just because this is such a interesting, um, strange roster. But the question, the big question is, like you said, like who replaces Jimmy as kind of the closer when it gets to crunch time and uh, the game slows down and you're in a half court possession where you just need a bucket. And and we kind of know how um, we kind of know how um, big men are just susceptible to turnovers just because in the post it's going to be really crowded. Um, it's just a little easier to guard them in crunch time. Um so you need someone to uh, step up as kind of like an isolation scorer. So who's going to do that for them? And when the season was on the line last year, Tobias Harris just struggled a ton. He was really not good in the Toronto series. Yeah, and that's going to be something that Philadelphia definitely needs to fix if they want to raise their ceiling. And despite everything we said, you know, they came the closest to beating the Raptors of any team in the oh, yeah, absolutely. of any team in the NBA, you know, and I know obviously <laughs> the Warriors had their circumstances with with unfortunate injuries, but you know, Philly pushed them to seven games and, you know, was maybe a couple bounces away from doing something and actually eliminating yeah. eliminating the Toronto Raptors so they are right there and they do have a very very talented roster they have one of the most talented rosters they have the biggest roster which is what I'm excited to see about them too is there is just their sheer size how how dominant and that will be especially in playoffs when things slow down and you're just facing a team that looks like the Space Jam monster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, and I mean don't get me wrong like with even with all the questions like I'm super high on this Philly team. I mm-hmm. will, I will probably pick them to make the finals just because I think their defense is going to be incredible. Um, yeah. I love Horford as we talked about and with Boston. I think he's a really really nice addition. I think he'll fit well. And um, even Josh Richardson is just a nice piece in the backcourt. Yeah. Um, and we'll see. I mean, Miami wanted him to be kind of their best player, one of their main guys um, before they obviously changed course when, when Butler committed there. But mm-hmm. so I think Richardson maybe could be one of the guys as like the creators when it comes down to it. Or obviously the question again with Ben Simmons is going to be whether he can develop, I mean, at least some semblance of a jumper. So mm-hmm. we'll see who they go to in crunch time. But regardless, this team, I think is just going to be a powerhouse. Um, I really like, 
their odds of getting the number one seed in the regular season. And I mean, we'll see what it's going to come down to in the playoffs, but they really only have one team that I think could challenge them in the East, which obviously is the Bucks, um, yeah. the one kind of contender remaining among that uh, group now that Toronto lost Kawhi. Yeah. And, you know, another thing to point out with that matchup in particular, you know, Philly and, and Milwaukee is that Al Horford is credited as one of the best defenders, if not in the league, in the, in the East for sure against against Giannis so you know to be able to I mean they'll be able to form a wall even unlike even unlike Toronto could form with their yeah. with their sheer size of Horford and Embiid so you know that will be interesting Westgate does have the Sixers very high they have them as the second highest over under at 55.5 and so this is going to be a very very good team like you said despite all the questions we have I think this is a team that on sheer talent alone, we talked about this being a big two league this year, but this is a team with four, with four players. They have two big twos, so they have just sheer yeah. talent. They're going to they're going to win a lot of games off of just sheer talent. And, you know, in the regular season, we saw that the regular season and playoff schism has never been greater. That has never been a greater divide you know, between those two styles of play. And I think that this style of play that they have, again, the physicality, the star quality that or star power that they have just makes them a team that's going to win most nights just by just by sheer force rather than, you know, actually translating to the playoffs, which is a whole nother question. So that being said, I will take the slight over on them. I got them as fifty six, fifty eight. I don't think there's going to be a 60-win team this year. I like that Westgate has that because I think this is a very balanced league. <laughs> but um, but I do think that I do think that they will get over the 55.5. Where are you at? Um, yeah, for listeners, we didn't talk about any of our picks beforehand, but I hate to say it, but I have to agree with you again because, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm over as well. Like I said, I think they're getting a number one seed. Um, they had some quotes about I think Brett Brown said, um, how they're really going to chase after that one seed. And I think it makes sense. Um, yeah. They lost last year in this tight game, almost went to overtime. Um, game seven, I think if it had been in Philadelphia, there's a real chance that uh, the Sixers win that series against yeah. Toronto. And that's just a huge factor. So they know they're going to be up against a tough team in Milwaukee. Almost definitely that's the conference finals matchup we're looking at. And mm -hmm. that's just a huge, huge advantage. So I think they're really going to chase that one seed. And the great factor for them in their favor for that is that they have Al Horford. So now Embiid can obviously Embiid has had problems staying healthy in the past or he's been on a little bit of a minutes limit and you can kind of reduce his minutes a little. You don't have to play him all 82 games he can play like 70 65 games and you still have a great option at center in Horford yeah. you have a solid backup in Jonah Bolden and Kyle Quinn and then you've got depth and you've got three other stars basically like you said so you can still win regular season games even if you're not putting out your best lineup every single game yeah I, I agree and you know all that being said you know their 51 wins that they had last season you could just throw any reference to last season totally out the window with how many times this roster changed in the last in the last oh, calendar yeah. year. But I mean, you just look at what they what they finished last year and you know what they have now with the upgrades of Horford 
and uh, and Josh Richardson and all the things that they did again, showing up the back uh, the backup center position. Yeah, Philly to me, it's it's easy to hit the over on this. Looking at this roster, the Eastern Conference, which despite it improving, still Philadelphia remains at the top of the list for me. Let's jump to the last one. We have the Toronto Raptors. Your NBA champion, Toronto Raptors. This is going to be a very kind of interesting season and before I get to my que- before I get to my question about where where I really want to see from them on the court this year I just want to get from your perspective as somebody who's covered Toronto you know they obviously are in a scenario where they're not, uh, they're probably not contending for a championship they're going to play their team uh, on opening night and there's a very real chance that at the trade deadline they end up they end up maybe being sellers if you know say they're they're hanging around in the playoffs or if they're you know or or you know maybe they end up trying to buy but I see them most likely as a seller uh, at the end of the season if they're if they're near or out of the playoffs. So as someone who covers this team, as someone who went through that incredible run that they went through last year, do you want Toronto to trade the championship pieces that were there, the Kyle Lowry's, the Marcus Souls? Or do you want to keep them and just kind of enjoy this the, the this year for it being you know kind of like a like a honeymoon year so to speak? Um, yeah, I think I just personally I want them to run it back. I don't really care. I think um, obviously like the big question is you have four key free agents and Kyle Lowry, Fred VanVleet, Marcus Sola, and Serge Ibaka. That's about ninety million dollars. But if you look at next summer's free agent costs, it's not great. Um, there's no one, there's no real big names, especially with Draymond Green already signing an, an extension. Um, so you're not really looking um, at a whole lot to get out of that free out of that cap space. And I mean, so that could make the argument that you should trade the veterans. But I just don't think they have a lot of value. I don't think a few months of Marcus Sol is going to get you a whole lot. Like, it didn't get a ton last year. It got, like, Jonas Valanciunas and an expiring free agent in DeLon Wright and, um, and like, a second-round pick and C.J. Miles. So not, yeah, but not a mean... great haul. And he's a year older, and that's, like, so now you've got three months of him versus a year and three months, um, right. if you but... see what I'm saying. Yeah, but doesn't that – I would kind of counter that in saying that I don't think that Toronto – obviously Kawhi is the biggest piece of that championship puzzle, but I don't think they win that title with Valanciunas instead of – Oh, Gasol. absolutely. No, that's – yeah, I don't mean that um, – I don't mean that that trade wasn't valuable. I just mean that, like, I don't think Memphis got a ton for him. I don't think oh, – okay, I don't think Gasol has a ton of trade value. And I don't think Ibaka, I think Ibaka has even less. And I mean, Lowry might have um, quite a bit of value just as someone who's still at an all-star level. I just think, I think there is some room for sentimentality. I mean, obviously the big thing with Masai, Masai Ujiri, everyone is saying how he's cold. He's not sentimental. And that's what got him a championship. He traded the franchise player, the most beloved player, I think probably since Vince Carter. um, Yeah. The most maybe the most beloved Toronto athlete period since Vince Carter um, in DeMar DeRozan, and he did that and that got them a championship. But my counter to that would be, 
there's no opportunity to get a championship out of trading Kyle Lowry. You're not trading Kyle Lowry for Steph Curry. You're trading Kyle Lowry. You're going to get some young piece, some future picks. So I was really pro the DeMar trade because I think DeMar was someone who could raise their floor or raise their floor, but not really raise their ceiling. And he Mm -hmm. kind of limited them to a good playoff team, but not a championship contender. And obviously, when you have an opportunity to get a top five player in the league, you have to do it. But I don't think that's the case for any of these veterans. I think they can get some value, but it's just not a ton. And why not enjoy this championship team and have all your guys there for ring night, have all your guys there for one more playoff run? And I'm also high on um, I'm also um, pretty pro keeping the guys just because. I'm pretty high on the team. I think it will still be a top five team in the East, um, maybe even as high as three. And I think the defense is going to be elite. I think it's worth at least a shot as a team that, you know, they're probably topping out at the second round, but I think that's okay for them. And they're kind of in a buffer year. They're not planning on contending for a championship this year, um, almost definitely not next year as well. So why not just run it back and be okay. I don't really see them bottoming out. Yeah, you make a lot of good arguments. Uh you make a lot of good arguments for why for why Toronto wouldn't move them and I don't I don't think you're wrong, but the but the thing I keep coming back to is just how likely I think it is that that this will be a strong buyers market in a league right. that um has so many teams that are separated by such little talent. Now granted teams like the Clippers and stuff leveraged all their and traded all their picks to get Kawhi and Paul George <laughs> so they don't maybe have the assets that Toronto would covet. But, you know, some teams some teams do like Milwaukee could trade some of their picks or something to get a player or two. So I could see some scenarios. Yeah. But I'm... the 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 more I think about it I, I actually would see, and again, I, w- I want to get back, back to your perspective on this. I could see it actually being more likely that some of these players are maybe even bought out rather than traded, right? Like, do you, um, do you, think, do you think Toronto would have, would have that? I, I think, they, I think they, they're an organization that really realizes how special last year was. And I think if those players, not saying that I think these players would, but I think if those players came to them and said, you know, hey, I would like to compete for a championship somewhere else, then I I could see maybe, you know, maybe not Fred Van Fleet because he's, you know, he's a young player. But uh, but maybe like Marcus Gasol, I could see him potentially getting bought out or maybe Ibaka. Um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't see them getting bought out, to be honest. I, I think they would just get traded if they if they mm-hmm. asked out, I think they would trade them for like whatever they can get, which won't right. be, like I said, I don't think it would be a lot, but I think mm-hmm. they would just trade them for whatever they can get okay. and um, and take like, even if it's just like a couple second round picks and some solid mm-hmm. filler or uh, maybe one young right. guy who a team kind of gave up on, whatever it is, I think they would take that and, um, and just live with it. But I don't think Kyle Lowry wants out. I think he said, um, he said he wants, to be in Toronto for the rest of his career if he, if um if things work out that way and if they'll if they're willing to extend him or resign him and mm-hmm. I think I think I'm wouldn't bet on Lowry getting an extension but I'm pretty confident um they're gonna ride it out and I'd resign him in the summer if um if they can find a reasonable deal for him um with Gasol and Ibaka yeah I could see them being traded and I don't think um 
I wouldn't be super against that. I just, um, I'm not sure. I think they like the city. I think they yeah. like being here. And obviously they already had their, um, their chance to contend for a championship and they got it. So I don't know. I, I have to wonder like how hungry they are for another one. And maybe they are, and maybe they'll trade them. But I still think the Raptors can be at least like um, a mid-tier playoff team, even without a guy like Ibaka, who's kind of like a a good bench piece, but not um, a game changer for me. Yeah, I I like Toronto. I think they're going to be an interesting team this year. And I think to get to my to my um, you know more basketball oriented question, you know all. A, a detaching sentimental value of this team <laughs> and getting to the actual basketball of it. Uh, this year to me is all about Siakam and evaluating how he performs as a number one option because this is clearly, all right, Siakam, you know, you're, granted, this is the Toronto core that won it together. So, you know, he doesn't, it's not like he doesn't have a supporting cast around him, but he is clearly the best player coming into this season. And he has demanded, well, I shouldn't say he's demanded, that's an aggressive word, but uh, <laughs> word got out that he is seeking a max contract extension. So, you know, this to me is all about this year for Toronto, figuring out just how, what is their ceiling with uh, Pascal as a number one? And I want you to, I want you to answer that question for me. What do you think a, a ceiling of a Pascal Siakam number one option team is? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think we saw it a little bit just in the games when Kawhi obviously sat out mm-hmm. like 22 regular season games. And I think the thing that bodes well for Siakam is that teams were already putting their best defender on him. I mean, even in the playoffs, you were seeing like Jonathan Isaac, great uh, young defender on the Magic, um, then followed by Joel Embiid, Giannis, and Draymond Green basically defensive player of the year level guys on him so and I mean he struggled a little bit but he did manage to have a really good performance in the finals so I think that really trends well for him um I expect him to be around like 20 to 22 points a game um a few assists he's gotten better as a facilitator and um and his handle's pretty good especially at the four position um, yeah, but we'll, I'm sure we'll see some growing pains. Uh, he definitely needs to improve kind of his above the break three pointer, maybe get a little in between game. Um, there's obviously those classic workout videos where you always see him against some right. five foot 11 trainer. Um, and, and he looks good. He looks smooth. Um, but obviously we need to see it in the game, but I'm pretty confident in him as a number one option. I think at least against, um, um, a good portion of the league, 15 to 20 teams, I think he'll do pretty well. Um, but yeah, to me, it's more um, who else is going to s- step up and take kind of that usage. Obviously, Kawhi Leonard was like a 30% usage in the regular season. And then Danny Green was taking quite a few shots as well. Uh, um, so to me, it's like who else in the lineup is going to step up and help Siakam yeah. and kind of take that pressure off of him. And there are a bunch of candidates for that. Fred Van Vliet, Norman Powell, OG Ananobi. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm really interested in OG Ananobi and Fred Van Fleet. Uh, Fred Van Fleet, I could see after having such a great NBA Finals, I could see him really try, trying to take that next step and become a better player uh, and become a much more consistent and complete player, as well as uh, OG Ananobi. I mean, that was a secret weapon that Toronto 
you know that kind of gets glossed over yeah right the fact that the fact that he was out all playoffs and they still won and he was a he was a great he was a great defender now I think this year will be a year it's unfortunate that he couldn't play last year because I think that that playoff experience of uh, of being in games of those magnitudes would have helped him but uh, but you, know, but you know, maybe he'll get some of that this year. I think because I do think this is still a playoff team. I do think this is still a a quality team for all the reasons that you named. So I, I'm really I'm really excited for this Toronto Raptors season. Uh, just it's going to be a fun season. I I want to see what Pascal can do. I I agree with you. I think his I think his ceiling is pretty high because he is a he's a player that's still improving and adding layers to his game. He's adding the playmaking. He's adding more, uh, more versatile ways to score. So I, their line is tricky. They have them at forty six and a half currently, um, you know, and they they won fifty eight last year. But Kawhi rested a lot. This is another one yeah. of those I would stay away from because again, <laughs> again, like Boston and Philly. I mean, I mean, those are just you're you're just almost looking at an entirely different team. Yeah. But I I would say I would take. I would take the ah oh man, I'm right on the fence. I'm I'm right on the fence. Like Should I go I'll... first? <laughs> yeah, yeah, go ahead and see see um, if you can talk me one way or the other. I mean, I'm sure you're not gonna be surprised, but I'm going over. <laughs> I, I'm pretty confident. I mean, look, they were seventeen and five with Kawhi Leonard out of the lineup last year. That's not gonna happen. They're not gonna win. Yeah. <laughs> They're not gonna win three quarters of their games. Um but I like this roster. Like I said, I think it's still a borderline elite defense. Obviously, mm-hmm. Danny Green and Kawhi Leonard are like all NBA level defenders. But even now, they still have, they really, I think a huge thing is that they just don't have any weak spots defensively. They don't have any like negative defenders. And sometimes I think right. that's really good, at least for the regular season. Um, it just helps you kind of um, stay in games. And you've got, um, Kyle Lowry, Norman Powell, uh, Patrick McCaw. These are at least average defenders to um, to guys like OG Ananobi, Marcus Souls, Pascal Siakam. Those are like borderline all NBA or all defense guys. So you've really got um, you've really you've really got a lot of high level defenders, and then no super weak spots to drag you down. So right. that end of the floor, I think they're going to be really good. The offense might struggle a little because they don't have a ton of playmaking, but I think they'll at least be good enough to um, to get towards the upper half of the East. And uh, and yeah, they've got some young guys who will be interesting to watch grow. So I'm looking. I don't think they're going to be great or anything, but I think they can get around to the 48 to 50 win range. Hmm. You know, you make a you make a really good argument, and you make an argument that. Um, that I, that I see a lot of logic behind, but we've agreed all podcasts. So let me just let me agree <laughs> this one time to end it. Uh, I think the more I think about it, I think forty five, forty six sounds about right because I do have them as about that about that sixth seed in the East or somewhere in that range. I don't have them quite uh, quite as high. You know, I have them somewhere bouncing between that six and seven range. And you know you're right. A lot of the the elite defense will carry over. They're not losing all of that defense, despite losing two All NBA uh, level defenders, which is an insane thing to think about. I can't even <laughs> wrap my head around that sentence being true, but it is. 
you know, the fact that they'll be fine without those two defensively is great. You know, they have no weak spots, like you said, which is great to exploit. And their offense will suffer a little bit because they don't have a lot of playmaking. They'll they'll have to rely heavily on Pascal Siakam being able to create for himself and others, which I think he's capable of doing. So all in all, I think this will be a good team. And this is a team that will have Marcus over Valanchunas, who I think yeah. Marcus is an upgrade. And, you know, they'll have him for a whole season as opposed to a half. So, yeah, I'll, I, I see, all the, I see <laughs> yeah. all the reasons for the over, but I, I'm going to take the yeah. slight under because for 45-46 seems just about perfect yeah. for me. And I don't think, man, I don't think that's crazy at all. I mean, it's a few wins difference. And, uh, I mean, yeah. yeah, I can see them anywhere between, like, three and six in the East. I just think mm-hmm. uh, when you see some, like, Sam Mitchell and Dennis Scott on NBA TV, and I've seen kind of some wild, wild takes all over the place about the Raptors just apping them as low as 10th in the East and, and yeah, that makes no sense 8th as a max. And I just don't, I really don't get that, even if they trade some of the veterans so i could see them as low as six which um i wouldn't think that's crazy but i'm obviously a little higher on them um but yeah it's not um it's going to be a really interesting season because they're such a weird team and um it's such a weird situation coming off of a championship but it's going to be fun all right Leo. well i'm glad i had you on the podcast man i'm glad i could have you on the podcast to agree a whole bunch makes me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it makes me feel reassured with where I'm at in, in my in my evaluation of basketball talent. Um, again, Leo Leo writes for Def Pen and Raptors Rapture. He does excellent work. I'm a big fan of I'm a big fan of what he contributes. So Leo, I want you to plug everything because I'm sure you can plug it better than I can. All right, thanks so much for having me, Chris. Um, I haven't written much lately. My last piece was back in um, early September. I wrote a over 3,000 word article comparing every Toronto Raptor to a giving a drink lyric to every Toronto Raptor. Um, oh, I got to read so that. So you can check that out at Raptors Rapture. Um, I thought it was a pretty fun waste of time for September <laughs> basketball. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back to writing a lot more once the preseason wraps up and um, regular season's right around the corner. And um, I'll have plenty more Raptors content at Raptors Rapture or otherwise. Thanks. Yep, no problem, Lior. And I'll catch you I'll catch you back later this season to check in and see, see how right or wrong I am <laughs> about the Raptors this season. All right.